but it was famous. It was like um, uh, 85 million people saw it. And it was called The Breath. It was 35 seconds long. And it consisted of a stage, much like what we have here. And then it, you had, he, he took garbage and, and uh, just threw garbage about. And then he put a, a light, a spotlight on the garbage and just uh, where it bright, grew brighter, put the spotlight on it, very dim at first, and you hear a baby's cry. Then the light grows brighter and you hear a breath. And then the light grows dimmer and you hear a whimper. And that's it. That represents your life. You're like junk. That was Samuel Beckett's view of humanity, that is, we are, we just have a, a breath, we leave a mess, and then we're extinct. Wow. Please let me join your church. We can all drink the Kool-Aid together. But how different is the biblical message? God made the earth, Genesis 1. He said, this is good. He made man after he made the earth. Man was the last thing he made in Genesis 1 because he made the earth for man. Psalm 8 says, he made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and gave him dominion over the earth. The earth was to be his habitat. That, that is the biblical message. Now, what is the evidence that this earth is unique? And let me just, uh, I'm going to, there's so much, and I just had to leave out so much material, but I just want to zero in on a couple of things here. Um, this, this should give you our, this is our solar system. Earth is tucked between Mars and Venus. I learned a lot in this. That's where I live, up there. And if you... Now, I, I, and I want to pull up here. See if I can pull this one up. This, this, is, this is the galaxy. Our solar system is right there. I don't know if you make out that little red dot. But somebody, one astronomer put it like this. He said, if you, you think about the... The North American continent, and you, uh, include, include Canada, that's the galaxy. And our solar system is the size of a coffee cup. And you put it down inside that galaxy. So there's where we are in the galaxy. The galaxy, in other words, we're about halfway, not 
a little more than halfway from the center and from the edge. And we are nestled between two what's called spiral arms. You see these? These, these spiral arms are made up of gases, asteroids, burned-out stars, dust, all, all kinds of universal debris. And we are tucked away right between those. We don't want to get into that because that's not a good highway to play in. That's heavy traffic and dangerous. So we're right between it. That's our solar system. Um, that, by the way, also is sometimes called the Milky Way because, because it gives an appearance of spilt milk, which that's what they said that I read, and I read it. I don't actually see spilt milk there, but that's why they call it that. One astronomer said that the key to the existence of our solar system in this galaxy is what he calls location, location, location. He, now, this is not a Christian saying this. He said, we are tucked nicely between those spiraling arms. And uh, uh, let me show you this one. This, this green zone, this orbiting zone, is sometimes called the Goldilocks zone because it's not too hot, not too cold. It's just right for a solar system to exist like we have. And you don't want to venture outside either direction. And you see that little black dot? Do you know that at the center of our solar system, is a black hole. And I, when I was looking at this, I thought, what is, what is a black hole? And I want to give you the, the next picture. When I saw this picture, I nearly freaked out. Look at this. Hold on. This is at the center of our galaxy a swirling mass of burned stars, a vortex of blackness that goes nowhere. But it sucks up dust, gases, even light and space, which is outside my ability to comprehend. When I, when I looked at it, I thought, and, and I didn't, that's not a doctored picture. That's actually a picture of the black hole from above it. I thought that it looked like a spider's web, and he, the spider comes out to get you and then takes you back in. <laughs> I thought, whoa, that is freaky looking. And then I read this, that what it does... It has like a suctioning power so that anything that gets close and crosses a certain boundary, I think they called it the event horizon. If you cross that horizon, there's an event. 
you don't want to cross that because you won't like the event. But the event horizon, once you cross that, it, you, you are just swallowed up into that, and it's like the universal garbage dump that just takes in everything that happens to cross that boundary. And the way it does it is it seems to burn it because they have discovered that that black hole emits radiation and burns that which it swallows. And I was, I used to, uh, and still do uh, to a certain extent, uh, have a question about when Jesus described hell. Okay, I'm just going to put this out here, okay? I don't know this, but think about this. Jesus described hell two seemingly contradictory ways. He said hell, Matthew 25, 30, is outer darkness. He said if you, uh, these will be taken away into outer darkness. Then he also described hell, Revelation 20, 15, as a lake of fire. Now how, and so I would think, how can you have fire and darkness? But this black hole does both of those. It is a, it is a black darkness and it emits burning radiation to everything that is swallowed up by it. So I don't know. I'm just saying, put that there, there for you to ponder. But it is a bit of a scary-looking feature in our galaxy and shows the importance uh, of us being way out here, not in there. So thank you, Jesus, for our orbit. I'm happy to be in it. Thank you. In 2003, a team led by University of California Berkeley physicist named Ginzel reported the detection of powerful infrared flares just at the edge of this supermassive black hole. And this, this is the one I was going to show you. Compared to water, the black hole, if it, it just swallows up. Here is the event horizon right here. You pass that, you do not come back. All right, that's the galaxy. Now, let me show you the solar system. The solar system, and this is where, remember, this is the coffee cup in the North American continent. Here we are now. The earth is here. Uh, no, the earth is here. <laughs> Follow the little yellow line. Um, and we are just perfectly situated, not only in our galaxy to have a habitable zone, but we are situated in our solar system to create and sustain complex life 
such as we know it. This, this is where we are. If we were, for example, Venus, um, what is Venus? It is too close to the sun. And so it is too hot. It reaches 900 hundred degrees and there's no life on Venus. Does anybody know anybody on Venus? See? And if you lived on Mars, what's the problem there? It's about half the size of the earth, but it's too far. It's not that far. It's what? A couple of inches? It can't be that bad. If you lived on Mars, it's too cold. You'd live in 300 degree below zero weather. Glad to be in fleet. <laughs> it is called a sterile planet. There's nothing exists, not even microbes or bacteria. But the earth is right between the two. Uh, let's do this again. Let me show you this. This is Venus. Please let me live there. This is Mars. There's nothing on Mars except a Starbucks. They're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> a plug for Starbucks, dude. You got, you got to let them know up there. Free drink for me. <laughs> now, Earth. Just right. Can you imagine this now? Oh, you know, the Big Bang... It just blew us right out into the orbit. That's the Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold. And then right between Mars and Venus, boy, you know what one astronomer said? He said, if you ever seen those guys in Las Vegas, they pull that lever and then all the little levers line up, all the little numbers line up, they hit the lottery. He said, we hit the cosmic lottery. Really? How many things have to line up for complex life, such as we have on Earth? You need an oxygen-rich atmosphere, a major amount of nitrogen, 78%, exactly, lots of water to convey nutrients over the Earth and absorb heat from the sun. You need moderate rotation, so you don't have too much heat or too much cold in one place. You need a, a minimum of four to five mile thick crust, which we have in the earth, between four and 30 miles in various sections of the earth. You need all of the chemicals to correspond and coordinate. You need the speed. You need the size. You need the mixture. All of this must be so finely tuned carefully calibrated that the slightest variation 
would throw us into a Mars or a Venus condition. For example, they said, if you just tweak the orbit of the moon or its size, which creates the gravitational pull, if you just tweaked it so that it's slightly lessened, he said, uh, we would be crushed like a pea under a man's shoe. Everything has to be perfect. We have to hit the cosmic lottery. Now, is this convergence of factors, is this convergence, this confluence of conditions, is this fluke? God made the earth to be inhabited. I don't see a cosmic lottery I see intelligent design. Not just intelligent design, I see compassionate design. The earth he has given to humanity, to mankind. In Isaiah 45, verse 18, he made the world to be inhabited. In Psalm 8, he made man and crowned him with glory and honor. In Genesis 1, he said he looked at the earth he had made and all the heavens and he said it is good. Genesis 8, 22, he said cold and hot, summer and winter, harvest and sowing, these seasons will not cease. God made this earth. God made this world and his faithfulness and sustaining power is seen in its seasons. You can count on those seasons. It's going to get hot, and then it's going to get cold again. You know why? Because God decreed it, and he's faithful, and he keeps his word. That same word that made the world saves us and keeps us for Jesus. He is shown to be strong. He's shown to be beautiful. He's shown to be bountiful. He's shown to be so wise. To put this together. And one of the things I read, i just give this to you quickly, but, um, and these are not Christian astronomers. This one guy said, uh, the thing that he was amazed with, in fact, it, he quotes Einstein, who said, the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's comprehensible. And he said, what we have observed with, in studying the planets and studying the galaxy, he said, what we have observed is that the earth is not only habitable among all the planets of the universe, but that the earth is a location from which you can observe the rest of the universe. You, you would not be able, because of the haze and because of the, the orbits and because of the alignments, you would not be able to see the rest of the galaxy from any location except on earth. It's as if God wrote a book called Creation and signed his name in big fat letters on the front page. 
Look, I want you to know. I want you to see who I am, what I can do, what I can be, what I am for you and what I've given to you. And there is this beautiful concept that I came across. I've heard this before, but, uh, but it actually goes back to before Christ. But then was written of and articulated by a 17th century astronomer and Christian named John Kepler. And here's what he said. He said, God has erected a magnificent edifice, speaking of the universe, to the musical scale. The musical scale. And, and he said, you, you can hear, we detect sounds in the movements of the planets. Now get this. He said, just as there's geometry in music, so there's music in all geometry. The stars and planets in their stable, predictable movements and orbits resonate with harmony like an orchestra. The universe is God's great orchestra sounding out His mighty blessedness and happiness. God is happy. And, and I, I give you two verses here. First is um, Proverbs 8. Listen to what he says. Proverbs 8, 27. When he established the heavens... This is Jesus speaking. When he established the heavens, I was there, Jesus says. When he drew a circle on the face of the, of the deep. By the way, notice the earth is described as a circle. It's not flat. It's a, it's a globe. He said, when he made firm the skies above and established the fountains of the deep. Verse 29, when he assigned to the sea its limits so the waters do not transgress. When he marked out foundations of the earth, I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight. That is, the Father daily delighted in the Son of God who worked with him in creation, rejoicing before him always. That is, the Son delighted in the Father. I was his delight, and I rejoiced in him. That is, the Father's delight of the Son. They enjoyed one another as full, that's the Trinity, it's just a full, joyous uh, communion with each other. And then look at this. Verse 31, and rejoicing together in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of men. They delighted in men and women and children. They are very social. They delight in each other. They delight in people. They built us this big house and said, enjoy the greenery, enjoy the seasons, enjoy the harvest, enjoy the seed sowing. Enjoy it. And to express their delight 
in each other and humanity. They have designed this huge orchestra, this galaxy of instruments called the music of the spheres in which they set forth their joy. I think it's something to do with this verse here. The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. He sings. You can hear him in the planets. Can you hear his music? Can you hear the music? Dave's going to do a song now that I take blame for this song. So, Dave, let's see you do it. 